0: Quite a week it's been a week i mean for all of us but man i know you've been thinking about the flock and all all the things are happening so here let's have some prayer time people Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of the people who are with us at this moment. Thank you for the people who are here with us right now in the in the physical space. Thank you for the people who are joining us through the live stream. Thank you that we can all come together and keep this church thing going on. Thank you so much for the worship team and the music that we had. Thank you for Pastor Joe. Please let us just clear all of the things that it might be on our mind, whether we're sitting here now or whether we're at home. Please help us just clear our minds, clear our hearts, and get ready to hear the message that God has put on Joe's heart. And let us just be, you know, uh, pierced by your word, and let us just let it carry it through the week, the music and the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be uh, with you guys that are on in Cyberland and those uh, few that are here today. Just so everybody knows, we are practicing uh, social distancing, just like we are told to uh, by authorities and by people in the medical profession that I'm friends with. So we're sitting far apart. We've got Purell every other inch. In this building. Everybody's got a a sanitary wipe in their hand. We're ready to roll, but um, it's good to be worshiping with everyone today. Um, We're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. I thought, do we preach a different message? And then I realized after looking at the text, I didn't have to because there were things in here that are relevant to today. And the message entitled this week is called Living with Evil. So, dealing uh, with the reality of evil in this world is, frankly, much like what we have been facing this week with the COVID-19. And it's the last several weeks, actually. I mean, it's something that we know is there. We know it's real, but, but honestly, if you think about it, just like with evil, we aren't equipped to know all that is going on around us at any given time, at any moment. We can take precautions against evil or things like COVID-19. We can take precautions, but in the end we really aren't powerful enough to see it all or to control it all completely. And this degree of uncertainty is what causes the unrest and anxiety, not just with things like COVID-19, but with evil in general. But then there's the other side of living with evil that I think is even worse. It's when we develop a sense of ease And comfort and familiarity with evil. So much so that we just kind of decide, eh, no big deal. We see it manifested constantly and we become desensitized. And we become more comfortable with evil's presence. And if you'll allow me this analogy, it is really like how we live with many other diseases which can be deadly. As opposed to the serious COVID-19 that we're dealing with now. There are a lot of diseases out there as deadly as COVID-19, but we're comfortable with those somehow. But there's an even more inspiring component to the passage we're going to look at today. This story about living with evil that brought me personally as your pastor great comfort this week. So I'm going to read, it's a long passage, it's 20 verses, longer than normal, but the story is so good I couldn't break it up. So I'm just going to read this passage to you and we'll go, okay? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He had lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar off, just getting out of the boat, he ran and fell down before him. Crying with a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I adjure you, or I beg you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. The person talking to Jesus is not the man, it's the unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And the unclean spirit replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, who the one who had, had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, for the first time in years, by the way. And now they're afraid. They're not afraid of the guy naked, living in the caves, cutting himself, screaming, breaking chains. That's cool. But now that same guy is in his right mind, and clothed, and sitting next to Jesus? Frightening. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, I'll tell you what the Decapolis is later, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So who could invent a story like this? There is nothing like this story recorded in any culture or literature in human history. It's only only story like this anywhere is in the Bible. It's amazing. It's fascinating. So as we do at Grace Life, we break down each passage into three sections. We look at the history. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we look at the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? And then and only then can you look at the personal. But what about me? What am I supposed to do? And how do I do it? Let's look at the history of this. I want to talk about a hard day's night. So the story takes place in another country called Gerasenes or Gadaranes, depending on where you read it, a couple of different names. It's named after its biggest city, Gerasa or Gadara, depending. It goes by both names. But they're not in the biggest city. They're in a little known village called Gergesa, which not many people even at that time would know about. Kind of like, you know, Northport. (laughs) Don't be mad. So instead, he refers to the great country, the bigger name of the country, instead of the little village. It'd be like referring to somebody who lives in Sarasota or Bradenton as being from Florida. That's kind of what he's doing here. And after this incredibly long day, remember what had just happened. That day, he'd been teaching on the boat. He had gotten up in the morning. He'd gotten away from the crowd. He'd gotten to the shore. He's preaching on the boat about the kingdom. In chapter 4, we went through all of that. And he spent all day explaining the parables to his disciples. And then he said immediately, let's get in the boat and let's go across. And they're halfway across the Sea of Galilee and this great storm hits. The disciples are upset. They're scared. Are you going to let us die? And Jesus says, calm down. I got this. And he calms the storm and he continues on their journey and they arrive to the other side of the lake. So it's still probably late in the evening. It's been a very long day. And as soon as they get out of the boat, The scripture says, immediately the exhausted passengers are met by this demonized man that approaches them. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking at this point? Remember, they're in several boats, the scripture told us, there was more than one boat following. They're probably thinking, Jesus, come on, can you give it a rest just for a minute? It's been a really long day, the storm, all that stuff, we are exhausted, can you just not talk to the demon dude? Let him make an appointment. So that's the setting. You understand, this is not like they're well-rested. They are exhausted. And I'm going to talk about the next part of the history. I want to talk about the devil you know. <clears throat> so Mark describes this man as someone who's been suffering under bondage for years. The scripture says, for this condition had often seized him. The scripture says he is possessed by evil, living the life of an insane homeless man for years. Now, the Greek implies that demon-possessed means influenced by evil. Many levels to this. Like, uh, we would say that serial killers are influenced by evil. People like Hitler and his crew were certainly influenced by evil. Even for someone who serves money and success over family and people, they would be influenced by evil or demonized. But to go further, this guy lives in the tombs, which in this region would have been carved out of the hillside. It's literally like caves. It's a pretty amazing thing. And for years, people in the nearby village tried to restrain him with chains, crying out from the tombs, no big deal. They've accepted his daily screaming from the graveyard. How many of y'all would be okay with that? What's that noise? Oh, it's the crazy guy in the graveyard. Don't worry about it. He's been doing this for years. It's no big deal. He's literally naked, self-mutilating himself with stones, breaking chains, screaming all day long. Don't worry about it. Everyone in the area knows who this guy is. They just accepted it. They lived with his screams from the tombs. They were all Very comfortable. It is literally the devil you know kind of a situation. But it's still the devil. (laughs) But they know this one. Then I want to talk about this other thing we find out. There are some scared demons in this story. The demons know why Jesus is there. And as the man runs to Jesus, I don't know if the man was running of his own will or the demons made him run. I'm not sure, but I know this. As soon as the man gets to Jesus and falls at his feet, the demons display absolute abject panic. They are in total fear of Jesus our Lord, recognizing his power, they recognize his authority over them, and as the man approaches Jesus, Jesus knows what's going on. And he addresses it directly, talking to the demons. And it's amazing, right there, in total submission, he asks their name, which they say is Legion, and just to give you an idea, it's not one demon he's dealing with, it's Legion. A Legion would have been about 5,000 Roman soldiers, And these many demons are begging for mercy. They are frightened that Jesus has changed the timetable of their demise... Please, they say, don't send us to the abyss yet. It is not our time. And we see what this time will look like in Revelations chapter 21 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand in the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that they might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. This is the abyss that the demons are talking about. Jesus, that is not the time yet. Are you here early? Are you cutting our time short? No, let us stay here. We don't want to be thrown into the abyss yet. They're referring to this in Revelation. Please, God, don't let today be our judgment day. Instead, let us go into that massive herd of pigs over there instead. I mean, I guess if you had to choose between judgment and pigs, you'd pick the same thing. I'm assuming. So that's the history. Now let's look at the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and how does he do it? I want to talk about a life transformed. The first thing we see in this part of the spiritual part of what Jesus does is these demon pigs. That's what Megan called them this week demon pigs. <laughs> So here is a slide pick of the tweet from Mark the Evangelist. If you want to follow the series on Twitter, uh, become a, a follower of Mark the Evangelist. Mark the Evangel 1. And uh, he says, Wow, Jesus healed the demoniacs and sent his demons into the herd of 2,000 pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff into the water. Get this. People from the village are scared of Jesus, not the demons. They want us to leave. Story isn't done. Stay tuned. Got a pic of one of the pigs in midair. I guess he was really quick with his phone. He picked it up, and he got the pig jumping. Isn't that a cutie? He's just a cutie pie. Cute little demon pig. (laughs) So a 2,000... Let me explain something. A 2,000 pig herd would be a significant economic resource for this little village. Exports, food, skins, all that stuff. Now, I don't know why the demons wanted to go into the pigs. I have no idea, but I know this. That was their request. And it is clear evidence, by the way, with these pigs, this herd of pigs, this is not a Jewish area. It is a Gentile area. Because Jews would not be raising 2,000 pigs. Let this sink in just for a minute. It's a Gentile region. There are many different cults and religions running rampant. Tons of false truth. Evil has been very comfortable there. But you know what Jesus' presence is in this little village? It's a beautiful example of what he was just teaching earlier in Mark 4 about how big the kingdom would be and how the branches would have nests in it, benefiting all the nations. He goes right from Israel across the sea into a Gentile region. And it's just amazing. There's something so exciting. I got to keep myself from telling you because I'll give it away. But it's like so cool. But I see this presence of Jesus in this place, but then it's reacted to with, by anger and fear with the people in the village. The pigs immediately go nuts. They run as a herd off a cliff into the Sea of Galilee. The pig shepherds witness all of this. They're probably afraid, right? Afraid of not only just Jesus, but the people that own these pigs are going to kill us. They run into town, and they tell everyone what just happened to the pigs What happened to the demonized man? People see money going down the drain, a very costly rescue of this poor soul that nobody even cared about. This herd of pigs would be worth millions of dollars today, just so you understand the perspective. But also there's this display of his raw power that has unnerved them. Jesus' incredible display is frightening for those who would not follow him. They had lived comfortably with the suffering of a demonized man, stronger than chains, living in tombs, outside the town, screaming all the time, every day for years. Then this Jesus shows up, he rescues this poor soul, and now they are angry and afraid of the thing that ended this poor man's oppression. They asked Jesus and his followers to leave the area immediately because they were more comfortable with evil Than Jesus. They were more concerned about their money and their comfortable lifestyle that they had grown to know and depend upon. But what Jesus shows is that every person's soul whom he is going to save is worth more than any amount of money or a good night's sleep. Remember, this is late at night, he's exhausted. But then something else is amazing in this story. I want to talk about the first missionary in the Bible. Can you imagine what this man is feeling? The gratitude and affection he has for Jesus at this very moment. He wants to start new. He wants to leave this place with so many memories of horrible pain. He just says, Jesus, I want to go wherever you go. And Jesus is getting in the boat because they've asked him to leave. So they're getting back in the boat. I guess they're going back across the sea. I don't know. And the guy's getting in the boat. And and Jesus says, no, stop. You need to stay here. I have other plans for you. I want you to go. And I want you to tell everyone in the regions and the towns... What I have done for you. And the Gospel of Mark says that he goes throughout the Decapolis. You know what the Decapolis is? It is a region of 10 well known Gentile cities all on that side of the Sea of Galilee. He is Jesus' official representative in the biggest, most, uh, the, the nearest, biggest Gentile cities in the area. And he is told, you need to go into the Decapolis and tell everyone. What I have done. He is, in fact, the first missionary. I love that story. It is encapsulized in this verse in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Be sure to grasp this reality. This notorious madman who lived in the tombs for years has just become the first missionary to non-Jewish people. It is just stunning to me. But it is also a beautiful glimpse into the sovereign love of Jesus that he has for this man and the rest of his children. So let's go to the personal side, which is what about us? What are we supposed to do? I've entitled this section, The Luckiest Man in Town. Now, this was my, uh, my social media campaign this week. You can follow it on Twitter or Facebook, and I put this up there for our, ser- our sermon preview. What's better, a comfortable, easy life or a hard life that brings us to a transforming meeting with Jesus? So this story is encouraging to me because I see an example of how Jesus will do whatever it takes to save his sheep. After a very emotional trying week for me and many of you, I found incredible comfort in knowing my Jesus went after this man. I identified with the demoniac. (laughs) Think honestly for a moment. If you had to pick who you wanted to be with in this story, if you had to pick one person you want to be with in this story, who would it be? Your choices are these. You can be one of these. You can be the people in the village. You can be the disciples in the boat. Or you can be the demonized man. I know my choice. So I want to talk about this divine appointment. To me, there's a lot of miracles that Jesus does in the Bible, but this one is the most incredible of Jesus' ministry outside of the resurrection. I mean, just imagine the scene, what this man is feeling. Yes, Jesus was tired. Yes, it's been a long day. But Jesus always has an agenda. It is his father's agenda. See, Jesus knew when he got into the boat on the other side of the sea that he was going across to have this particular interaction with this man. He wasn't surprised. That is the whole reason he wanted to get... He said, let's immediately get in the boat and go. That's why. At the end of the day, all the preaching, he had one more job to do. He... Get this now. Just... There's a crowd of tens of thousands on the shore wanting anything and everything they can get from Jesus. They want him to heal him. They want him to uh, to preach him. They want him to follow all these things. He leaves a crowd of tens of thousands of people to go across the lake for one Gentile madman living in caves. Crosses the sea in a storm to throw seed on good soil nobody even knew existed. Remember he just preached about the parable of the sower and the seed, about how he puts it on all different types of soil and nothing happens, but on good soil it grows and gives fruit a thousandfold. Can you see how this guy is good soil? Jesus says, no, don't come with us. Go, Go throw some seeds in the Decapolis, those ten cities. Church, this is a Gentile demonized man. This was a ton of effort for this guy. But Jesus says, he is going to sow fruit for my kingdom. Look at this verse in Matthew. This explains what Jesus has done for this demonized man. You ready? This is the concept. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave The 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray. Isn't that beautiful? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that are on the other side of the lake that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is why this concept theologically in Matthew 18 and the story of the demonized man, this is a great example of why we as God's children can have complete rest, confidence, and trust in the sovereignty of our God and His work of salvation. Because that's what we have. We have a a relentless Savior. So after a life of bondage, pain, suffering, and seclusion, suddenly this man wouldn't trade places with anyone. No, I don't want to be a high priest. I know Jesus. No, I don't want to be a pig herdsman. I know Jesus. No, I don't want to be a mayor of any of your little decapitalist cities. I know Jesus. You know what he did for me? No, no, I've got a life now. Thank you very much. But the price Jesus paid to save this man was far more than just a perilous late night boat ride through a storm. In this season that leads up to Easter, what we see that's so beautiful is we see that Jesus and the demonized man actually exchange places. Let me explain. The demonized man was living in the tombs, naked, bloody, and beaten, suffering the pain of evil. Then Jesus removes the evil from him, but the work of his exchange is just beginning. Later, we'll find out at the cross, Jesus is naked, bloody, beaten, suffering the pain of evil. And Jesus also ends up where? In the tomb. Man, I should have saved this one for Easter Sunday, maybe, huh? (laughs) But because of the resurrection, they are both, the demonized man and Jesus, triumphant over evil. And today, as we speak, this man and Jesus are brothers in the kingdom of God that he was just preaching about in Mark chapter 4. Isn't that amazing? All the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. By the way, even if they come to him full of demons from caves. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, even if it means going across a stormy lake in the middle of the night. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And not even a legion of demons can stop me. But raise it up on the last day. Church, there is rampant evil in this world. And we are not equipped to fully understand it all. How it works, how prevalent it is. This week, with what we're dealing with with COVID-19 is a great example of that. We aren't aren't even able to understand just how big a grip or impact evil has on our lives at any given moment. But there is immense comfort in the lessons we learn from this story in today's passage. While the history of today's passage is stunning, right? The theology is deep and inspiring. It's the personal application that is so simple yet so freeing. Your, here it is, you ready? Your Jesus will do whatever it takes to make sure that we are with him on that last day. Even if it means an exhausting, inconvenient boat ride late at night. He will spare no cost. He will overcome any evil obstacle to ensure that you, we, are forgiven, transformed, and called out of the tombs. Who would you want to be? In fact, maybe today, whether you're here or a live stream, maybe today is your day to run to Jesus and to ask him to remove evil from your life. If that is your desire today, it seems to me that sovereign Jesus has come across a stormy sea specifically to meet you right now where you are. Heavenly Dad, I'm so thankful for this example of how you saved this demonized man. Even though many had become comfortable with the evil that is so evident, you are not going to let anything stop you from going across that lake to meet with him and make him your first missionary to Gentile regions. And when it comes to our life, Jesus, we're so thankful that that same Tenacity that you showed to save him, you have shown to save us. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father not death, not destruction, not peril, not famine, not nakedness, not the sword. No, we are more than conquerors through you and the work that you have done. Jesus, thank you that your power over evil is undeniable pervasive, and alive with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you for being here, and thank you for those who are streaming with us online today. I just want to let you know that we'll be praying for you during the week. If any of you need anything at all during this time, please contact us. We are mobile, we are organic, we are biblical, and we are surprisingly generous. Let us know how we can help. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Thank you.